cheek to cheek. I think someone needs to put a balloon between those two. I have it no other way. What what they what they used to, what they say in the movies? Got to make room <laughs> for the good lord or something. <laughs> <laughs> Can't have those kids dancing too tight, you know. No way, dude. I uh, thought I was cool when I was younger, and I asked the teacher to dance with me, and kind of like was like trying to be like, you know, like to like show off to my friends, but I couldn't do it because I'm just like not cool, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think the coolest thing I ever did at a school dance had nothing, of course, had nothing to do with, <laughs> with what you're, you know, most kids are doing at school dances, like being cool and trying to Im- impress someone to, you Dude, know, nobody's to garner cool. your favor and this and that. And you know what I did? I tricked the DJ to play a Rage Against the Machine song. The one where at the end they go, fuck you, you can't do what you tell me. (laughs) And I hyped up like all my white trash friends and we just kind of like jumped around and the DJ was already playing it and, you know, everyone heard it. So I was like, ha ha, like, fuck you, principals. I got (laughs) the curse word and Rage Against the Machine at the school dance. Yeah. <laughs> I win. I I I considered it a W back then. Yeah, why not? Take <laughs> what you can get. I still kind of do. It's not bad. No. You know? Some kids were uh what, you know, doing drugs and making out in the bathrooms. Mm. Or worse. I was getting upset about uh you know Mumia Abu Jamal and and playing <laughs> <laughs> playing songs at the school dance, getting hyped. <laughs> well, we talk a lot about the old days in this interview, don't we? The old days, let me tell you. How did you? How do you walk away feeling about Somerville, New Jersey, being being lambasted with so much information about a it? hotbed of talent? Mm. Somerville, New Jersey. I mean, not untrue. I definitely know more about it than I need to. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know what. Because of the pandemic in 2020 and then Hurricane Ida in 21, the Tour de Somerville, the bike race, hasn't happened in two years. Ah. What do you think about a going off track field trip? (laughs) Let's go down to the Tour de Somerville. You know, we'll get you a nice like sausage and peppers and onion sandwich, like a legit one, you know, from New Jersey where they're actually good. Oh, we'll go to Central Pizza. We'll do the Call whole the race. thing. See my old neighbors. We'll toss out water on the streets. Will you do it? Toss out? Oh, toss out waters to the bikers? Yeah, I don't think you're allowed. You're not allowed to touch them. They're like actual real like athletes, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, so what do you think? Should we go down there, bring like a mobile unit and do some some potting with cyclists? Get the uh, GOT van back on the road. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I bet, you know, with every subculture, right? Like once you dig in, I bet there's some weird shit in cycling culture, you know? Like just some weird thing all them do or like a weird clothing company they all wear. I mean, weirder than the clothes that they wear. Well, those are purely utilitarian. I mean, you ride a bike for... You should know this. You ride a bike for more than five miles. I mean, it's an almost guarantee you're going to get crotch rot, right? The wind is definitely can slow you down, but 
you know, like all athletic gear, why do they put any graphics on it at all? That's, That's my a good question. Point. Like graphics have never, the, at least the graphics that they use have never improved any, any athletic wear. <laughs> they always use the worst, most horrible. I would easily use the word garish. Garish. Yeah, I to describe all athletic graphics. All. I'm looking at you, football, too. What so. about the Nike swoosh? It's classy. What's yeah, the classiest sure. sports logo? Is it the swoosh? If you can, if you can stop there, you're okay. So my son's always asking about Armor Under. I think I think a lot of kids at his school wear that stuff. Not really uh, Armor Under. That's just what he calls it. Under Armor. Yeah. I'm that's not going to correct them. Who cares? That's a, that, that's a fucking Trumpy. Oh, that's a Trumpy brand? Big time Trumpy, yeah. Wait, why? The people who wear it or the people who make it? Yeah, make the guy who owns the company. Oh, okay. And his underlings. Mm, not yeah, surprised. Stay away. Stay away sure. from the product. You know me. I've I've been a... You know, I would be a Nike man all the way. Their shoes are a little narrow, you know? I, you know, yeah, I'm with you there, dude. <laughs> I got a pair of Nikes recently and they, they were a little narrow on my foot. I'm like, I don't need it. Maybe yeah. some Pumas. I like Pumas. Where are we going, Brad? Jesus <laughs> Christ. So this was a fun interview to do. Let me tell you why, okay? <laughs> so when I casually mentioned in there that like, oh, and you're in a in a band with like my middle school best friend. This is true. Like. Tyler Rand, who I went to like middle school and high school with, we literally played like little league together. I remember impressing him and his friends on a little league field because I knew every word to that Biz Marquis song. Um, you know, oh baby, you got what I need. Just a friend. Yeah, just a friend. Yeah, that one. <laughs> I used to know like all the verses for some reason. So I remember like one of the first times we met, I spit the hot Biz Marquee verse and then we were good friends, you know, and we sort of semi like discovered skateboarding and, you know, alternative stuff kind of at the same time and leaned each other in a bunch of directions. So he wound up playing in Midtown with Tyler. And this was like, I didn't really know, know Heath until like the end of Nowhere Fast and when that band started. But it was kind of this like connection of individuals from the old world, like Rob Hitt, the drummer. He was in a band called Ska Skank Redemption. Mm. Uh, also the Royalties, Negative Five. He was like a local dude from Hillsborough. Gabe was kind of part of, you know, a, a separate scene from Central Jersey, but it all combined. And Midtown, like I said in the in the interview, is one of those bands who like you heard of and then was just like super legitimate and real, like right off the bat. And I always gave them credit for that at the time. Cause as Heath enforced in the interview, those dudes had a real like uh, idea about what they wanted to do early on and a real focus. And I think it was like uh, a reactionary thing back in those days to, consider people like that, like, uh, oh, what are they trying to do? Be successful? And I really love the fact that now some people were like, yeah, that's like exactly what I was trying to do. Like, yeah. what were you trying to do? You know? Yeah. Um, so I always appreciated about them. And and they had this this great run. And then, of course, uh, you know, Heath jumped to 
to census fail and did, you know, two records with them four years. And then, uh, you know, now like rewires the Holland tunnel, which like we started the interview with, <laughs> I could talk to him about his job all day long. Cause that's oh, fascinating yeah. to me, you know, like I'd love to wear a hard hat and go, go in there with him. And now all these, these years later, we play some music together, just a couple Somerville boys, you know, like, yeah, baby. Reminiscing about the old days, Redelicos and and uh, what else did we have downtown, you know, all the good stuff. And, you know, even when I moved from that town and sold out and went to Bridgewater, which was the nicer town next to it, uh, you know, my mom still worked in downtown Somerville and I'd meet her for lunch all the time. And I, I, there was never a time like I wasn't connected with that town. And now, strangely, full circle, Somerville's had a bit of a you know, Renaissance, you know, they have a pedestrian only street, fancy coffee shop. They got all the stuff now, you know, it's like a place and a couple of people I know who I'm really tight with have moved back to the area. So I find myself in Somerville a lot again. Wow. And, and it's, uh, you know, I recently found out the real story from my father about how we wound up in New Jersey and, you know, I always find it so fascinating that people like Heath and I have this, like, you wear this thing through your whole life. Like, oh, I'm from Somerville. I'm from this town. This means something. Like, what's the cultural significance of this? And to realize how haphazard the decision was for my family to move to this town (laughs) and how, like, little thought was put into it, you know? And like, oh, like, yeah, this should be good. This should be a good place. That was pretty much, like, the cap of it. And then it becomes, like, your identity and I just did the same thing to my kids. Just moved them out to some place. I don't know. I think it's going to be good. But it wasn't <laughs> like some some thing where I'm like, I have to move here, you know? And then they're going to have this cultural identity. It's interesting. Do you have that for any of your little towns or you just let those go? It seemed like you let them go. Oh, I let them go, dude. Yeah. Long time ago. Town that I grew up in. Not a lot going on there. Washed your hands of it. No love. No love. No love. Sorry. All right. It's fair. <laughs> Not surprised. So, yeah. Uh, should we, should we, should we uh, play the train and, and listen to this fun interview? Let's do it. It's going on I took, I took a picture of this car. It's called... W, it's www.geesechasers.com. Yeah, the dog dudes. I guess they had a kayak on the top of their car. I don't know how that fits in with the goose chasing, but oh, um, hmm. I don't know. I'm going to send you this picture because I saw this and I thought of you. I've seen that crew. They used to work at Liberty State Park in Jersey City because that place was just littered with geese. And as far as I could see, it was like a dude with two border collies who just like bought a van. Um, So I think he just like, basically, I don't know if he sprayed the grass or like something like that, you know, all the methods of getting rid of geese that don't work besides for killing them, uh, as Chuck Reagan explained to me and was totally (laughs) correct. Uh, But yeah, I'm pretty sure he just uh, lets dogs loose. And they just, and I have a dog who just, you know, is useless in this goose chase, but I think he may just be more practical because he's not very big. And these goose, they, these are hardy animals. You know, I can see why people eat goose meat. You know, you ever had goose meat? 
Never had goose meat. No. No. No, I, Brad, I'll try. Goose meat? I don't think so. Brad, you had goose meat? I, I don't think I have. I'd be open to it though. Hmm. I mean, I, I see him now. It's you know, we've talked about this before. It's one of those quick things where I uh have gone from like the gracious nobility of all animal life to like, you know, eh, I can see why people eat this one, you know? Or at least like, kill them. <laughs> well, no, if you're going to kill this goose, it's a meaty animal. Like, right. you know, but it, it's it's like what I told Chuck Reagan, you know, like if I could just shoot a goose and then jerky appeared, I might be into this endeavor, but I'm really skeptical about everything between shooting and jerky you know mm. yeah that that's where you get your hands dirty yeah so how's it going heath do you have a nice day at work today yeah i had a good day at work um you know a lot going on which is a good thing um but i'm happy that uh work is over for the day are you willing to talk about what you do these days sure well, yeah so um well, let me, I guess we'll start at the at the beginning of, of how I got into this. Um, after I left Census Fail in 2009, um, I became an electrical apprentice. Right. Um, I wanted to become an electrician. Uh, so I went to Which school. Is, it is in your family too, right? To some point? To some degree. I mean, my yeah. dad worked for PSE&G for a long time. Okay. Um, right. And I, I do have cousins who are electricians and things like that. Um, and I just figured... I have to learn how to do something right. um, that will pay me while I learn how to do it. Um, uh, right. Sure. You know, it was either, it was really either become an electrician or a chef. Um, okay. I like, I like the hours that an electrician has better than chef's hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm to spend weekends with my family and stuff. So, sure. So I went through the apprenticeship program and graduated that. That was like four years of night school, which was awesome. Um, and then I became a foreman and now I'm a project manager. So I run the jobs from the office and do site supervision. I work on development and, uh, you know, everything from the beginning to the end of a project, basically. So I have a bunch of different projects going on right now in different stages of development and, uh, you know, installation and completion. So I'm just trying to keep the ball moving forward on all of them. Yeah. So let me get my head wrapped around this. So you were recently doing the work inside the Holland Tunnel, right? Yeah, we did the lighting retrofit inside the Holland Tunnel, uh, the north and the south tube, all the oh. all the lights that line uh, the wall, those big yeah. foot tubes. Yeah, um, that was awesome. Yeah. So you have this is one of those amazing opportunities where, for me, as a total pedestrian when it comes to these things. How many times I've drove through the tunnel in and and one lane or some side of the tunnel was under some degree of construction or tear down, and I've seen it and I've had no idea what the fuck is going on. So, like, when that project comes to you first, like. I can't even like wrap my head around it. Like what, what does the electric look like in the Holland tunnel? Like how do you even begin to like wrap your head around a job like that? So it's, it's by the way, it's all very well maintained. They have like a great staff over there. Um, and the house electricians do a really good job of keeping everything working and making sure that, um, you know, 
that, you know, when we came in to do the work, it was stress-free. Everything was figured out. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of unknowns with something like that. Like you see the tubes on the wall um, and you don't really know how they're powered until you take them off. Um, oh, really? <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, like it looks like it's just like an eight foot long Pyrex tube. It looks like a bank teller tube that right. the light is inside. And those fluorescent lights have two pins on them. Power comes in, it goes through a ballast that um, transforms the power um, to the correct voltage and uh, and wattage. And it basically goes in one and out the other. But if you look at that tube, it only makes contact on one side of the light fixture mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to figure like, where's the other tube getting powered from? And until we took that out, I had no idea how it operates. And it's actually a very cool system where the light sits inside the tube and one pin goes to one end of the ballast and the other end of the ballast travels around on a piece of um, aluminum, kind of like an electrode that goes around the light and hits the other pin. And it also acts as a reflector that pushes the other side of the fluorescent light out. Um, It makes it a little bit brighter. That's crazy. Who do you know? Like, who designed that system? Because that I seems mean, like kind of interesting and artistic in a way. It is. It's very cool. Um, it, the fixture itself, itself looks like a big hypodermic needle. You <laughs> take it out like on right. the end of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a very cool custom piece, uh, but I, I don't know who designed it huh. or when it was made. But I do know that it's very difficult to find replacement parts for. Right. Okay. I found that out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of like a an ancient system by default because it's in a tunnel that was built so long ago. It's not like you could like, like ground up updated now. Right. It's like too late for that. Yeah. It's kind of a part of the, a part of the infrastructure of the, of the tunnel. Um, Originally it was like, um, I believe there were like par lamps, like three, 300 watt, maybe there were like two or 300 watt incandescents that were spaced like 10 feet apart. Kind of like what you see when you go through the Lincoln, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But at some point they changed the lighting design of the Holland tunnel and they added the standoffs for the fluorescent tubes. Huh. Do you find like when you're doing this stuff, is this one of the reasons you like it? Do you find it, you know, creative problem solving, like artistic kind of in a way? Absolutely. Yeah. One of the cool things is, is having to figure out how to solve the problems. Right. Um, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Sometimes you think you have everything figured out and then you go to, you know, install a light somewhere and realize that the hook is the wrong size or the pendant is too long. And if you install it the way that you thought you were going to install it, every car that drives by it is going to hit it. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you have to adapt. You know, you have to learn how to adapt pretty quickly. Hmm. Um, and that's, that's wild, when, it's all management. Yeah, I'm fascinated, but I could talk to you about your job all day. Um, but <laughs> so, so when you like in 09, when you made that choice, you know, obviously your choice wasn't driven by a career yet. Um, you know, it's not like you had some nice firm thing waiting for you. And that's why. So, and it seemed like also, I heard you mention at some point, you really didn't play guitar after that for quite a long time, which I hadn't realized. Like, like what happened in 09 that you kind of hit that that wall with such a drastic change. Yeah, I, I don't I don't really know 
what happened. Um, hmm. I think it happened around the time that I turned 30. I started thinking about like, hmm. is this something that I can keep doing like into my 30s? And I started thinking about wanting to have a family and settle down. Right. I missed a lot of birthdays and weddings and you know all sorts of other family occasions. And, and I knew that at some point I'd want to start, you know, having my own family. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to be home for that. I didn't want to I didn't want to be gone all the time. Um, yeah, I know people can do it, um, but I didn't think that I could do it. Okay. Um, so, was there any like cues that, that made you think that, or it was kind of like an overall feeling? It was kind of just like a, a darkness that crept in. Um, mm. I yeah. remember being on a tour in Europe and like not getting out of the bus. Right. Just, right. just sitting there and reading books in my, you know, unventilated, non-air conditioned bunk <laughs> yeah, like right. all day while everyone else is, is out like exploring Paris and, you know, Florence and having a great time. I was just like, I want to, I just wanted to go home. Yeah. Just lost the steam for it. Yeah. And I'd and never you, felt that before. Right. But I mean, at that hard. point you'd been touring, what, that was a good, between Midtown and Census Fail, that probably took you a good, I mean, ten, at least 10 plus years at that point, right? Of mostly touring. Yeah, solid 10 years. I mean, Midtown started touring in, like actually touring in the summer of 99. So it was a solid right. 10 years. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so uh, how long after did you stop? Did you start the family? Uh, well, we had we had our first daughter in 2012. So, um, yeah, I mean... We kind of knew that it was a thing that we wanted to do. Um, so you're three years in the night school. Yeah. And you have your daughter, haven't played guitar. So you went straight into like, hey, I'm just a North Jersey dude now. I'm not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not a musician guy anymore. I cut my hair. Like, I'm just in it now. Like, <laughs> I'm just in it. Yeah. yeah. Just working all the time, doing the night school thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting, man. I mean, it kind of comes around. I mean, that's one of the things. Let, let's bring it all back now that we're back to Midtown. Because, you know, as you and I and nobody else listening to this care or know about, we're from the same town. Mm-hmm. And that's a big deal. Hey, Brad, did you hear that? I, I did hear that. That is a big deal. Somerville, New Jersey, boy, what's up? What's up? And I got to say, Heath, we are both missing and exempt from the list of notable people on the Somerville website. Oh man. You know, that's, that's a, a crime. Come on. Who, who else is on there besides Paul Robeson? You know, I mean, like Paul Robeson's the only like name, name, you know, uh, we can get into this. So, so you segued perfect for me. Like, <laughs> let, let's just get this out of the way now. Okay. Okay. I came up with a Somerville quiz for us. Oh, yes. To see how fucking Somerville you are, bro. <laughs> you know? And, but one of the things was to, to say on your first question, I, I was like, one of my questions, I even wrote it down. I'm like, all right, top five notable people from Somerville. And I had to take the question out because past Paul Robeson, <laughs> we, I mean, we got some, you know, ran the politician, did this, did this, but no real big names. The only one I am afraid I, that I actually recognized was the uh you know of course the italian guy who who ran against murphy in the last election chitarelli 
Apparently he's from that, Somerville? Apparently he's Somerville. Oh, <laughs> he's man. He's one of ours. Come he's on. Like, I know. Get out of here, Chitterelli. Not even a union man, you know? Come Eith. on. Fuck all that. So let's do this right off the bat because I, I love Somerville. You love Somerville. It's a strange it. place. Let's do the quiz. I say if you get three of these, you're legit as fuck, okay? Okay. All right. I'm up for the challenge. I'm going to save my favorite one for last because I think it's the, the one that you really should get. Okay. okay. All right. Here, we'll go a little history first. In what year did Somerville incorporate as a borough and what township did they secede from? Oh. Uh, you know, I know that there's probably a really nice sandblasted sign that has all this information <laughs> as you're coming off of uh, Route 20206, but I'm going to just guess 1863, Okay, uh, and I'm going to say it was a part of Bridgewater. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna... giving you this half, because you really, you know, it was one of those weird formations of the town, as with anything in New Jersey, you know, it started in the 1700s, but it was like you know, six Dutch people and a horse. Yeah. So it wasn't really like a place yet, you know, and then eventually it became Somerville. So it actually officially uh, incorporated as a borough in 1909. Oh, okay. And you are it's, absolutely correct. They seceded from Bridgewater Township. Good. As well they should have because, <laughs> I mean, yeah. come on. I had to but think, they, I, I had to move from Somerville to Bridgewater. I, I was, <laughs> it was like, it was like I was a, a, a Union Army man moving to, to, to Georgia, you know? Well, I, not, did, I did the opposite of that. I lived in Somerville and I worked in Bridgewater at a time. So oh, you took you money know. from the, from the Confederacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. What is the address of Hangman's Hill? Hangman's Hill. This is something I don't know anything about. Is that over by the Dutch Parsonage? Oh, no. You don't know about this. Wow. No. (laughs) All right. So Hangman's Hill. Obviously, you won't know the address. It's the big Victorian on West Cliff Street. Six West Cliff Street, right on the corner. Okay. And they hung people there. Wow. Um, I believe during the Civil War. Like, not not fun hangings. Um, But it is haunted. And it's talked about a lot in like, uh, you know, um, in uh, Weird New Jersey and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that you didn't you're, know this one. You're giving me a lot of things that I need to go on Wikipedia and look up later. I mean, literally, the Somerville Historic Advisory Committee is, is, knows about this. Uh, but there are ghosts that live there. So that's okay. why people knew about Hangman's Hill. It's a scary old house. I think it's like a law office now, so... I mean, maybe some lawyer is either really creepy or doesn't believe in it. See, we were more concerned with um, Pig Lady Lane <laughs> yes. growing up in Somerville oh my and God. Hangman's Hill. I know all about Pig Lady what Lane. What is Pig Lady Lane? Oh, so scary. Do you want to tell me? <laughs> yeah, what I remember of Pig Lady Lane was uh, it was back by the Duke Island estate, maybe? Duke's estate, um, Doris Duke, Duke. Yeah. Doris Duke's estate, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a side road that may have been at one time a dirt road uh, where if you go back there late at night, you turn off your lights and you yell, pig lady, pig lady, pig lady, the pig lady would come out and get you. <laughs> yeah. So literally like Brad, imagine. <laughs> so the Duke's estate was this like 
like Doris Duke had uh, inherited this like huge estate. She was part of some major family, turned like half of it into like public, like greenhouses and stuff where you could drive through. So there's this part of Route 206 there where there's these giant cobblestone walls and stuff, but you can actually drive into parts of it. I think parts close at night and stuff. So you have to go like in the middle of the night. It's pitch fucking dark. You roll into this little, this little street. Yeah. And you have to turn your car off, turn the lights off, then yell pig lady three times. (laughs) And then when you turn it back on, she's supposed to appear and like haunt you. I was taken there and I can't tell you if I saw the pig lady or not because my fucking eyes were closed because I was terrified (laughs) i was like don't bring me back here i don't want to know and someone dragged me back there and then uh another local native steve mikowski uh made a film about the pig lady i think he there's a uh a horror movie made about the pig lady i'm gonna write (laughs) that one down yeah did they did they catch her on like bigfoot in the in the headlights you know (laughs) i always wonder like i thought about it years later and i was like you know Maybe like there's this whole like cult township following and there's just some really, really like sad yeah. lady who lives back there. She's basically like homeless and squatting yeah. and like every couple days, like a car full of like overprivileged like suburban kids just go and like <laughs> bother her. And she's like, just let me die in peace, you know, <laughs> or something like that. She's just fed up with it. Yeah, she's just, yeah, she's just yelling at. She get the fuck out of here. Yeah, um, yeah, she probably talks like everyone else around here. All right, so no Hangman's Hill. Not doing so well, pal. No, I know. I'm very, uh, very upset. Myself. All right, let me let me give you the slam dunk. <clears throat> now, this is my favorite one because we've talked. You know, I'm an Alfonso's man, but you've talked about how much you love the old school Somerville staple Central Pizza. Huge fan. Your favorite. In what year was Central Pizza opened? Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure it's right on the awning, you know? It's got, it's got to be on the awning. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess 1960, but I'm probably going to be off. That's close. 55. Oh, 55. okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, All right. I don't feel so bad about that. Yeah, we're stricken out here. All right. <laughs> what was the first major industry of Somerville? <sighs> Okay, so let me think about this. We are very close to Manville, mm-hmm. which was an insulation. Um, Old John's kind of, Manville plant, yeah. Yeah, they, they did a lot of that there. What did they do in Somerville? I'll give you a hint for this one, okay? Okay. It was as a result of Somerville's plentiful red clay and shale deposits. You know, I I don't really know what you can do with red clay and shale other than roofing, uh, old school uh, shingles and slate roofing. So I don't know. I don't really have an, I don't have an answer for that, Benny. All right. Brick making, baby. Brick making. Oh, Come on. They made red bricks clay. there, huh? Red clay. We made bricks. We made Brick bricks. City. Bricks. Yeah, the real Brick City. <laughs> Fucking Newark. All right. Now, this one's really hard, but I thought I would take a shot. Name one winner since its inception of the tour of Somerville. It started in 1940. Do you know one? 
No, of course not. <laughs> of course not. No. I, I never would have either. I know. Yeah. Isn't it bizarre that we grew up in like the cycling hall of fame and, you know. It's been, what's even more bizarre is I lived on the street that the bike race used to go past. I lived on right. West High Street. So I probably saw every tour of Somerville from 1992 to like 2007. But. Yeah, to, to let the listeners know, the tour of Somerville was this great. It's actually like a real bike race where Olympians and, you know, like, uh, you know, cyclists from all over the world compete. And it runs through downtown Somerville, past everybody's houses, right into Main Street. So it's like a yearly thing. Everybody goes out to their lawns and cheers the cyclists and, uh, you know, throws water at them and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty fun. Did you, do you have any you have good memories of uh, the tour to Somerville? I have a lot of memories of it. I remember one time, one of our tenants downstairs was uh, dating a married woman. Oh. And uh, yeah, her husband came to the house with an axe <gasps> and threw an axe at uh, at him. Well, that was pretty cool. Missed wow. him. It went it went into the wood, but uh, <laughs> we had to stop the party early that year. You saw this play out. I saw the axe. I saw the axe oh in the goodness. wood, uh, and I was Whoa. told to stay in my room. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so an an angry ex husband attacked your tenant with an axe. Yeah, it was wow. pretty cool. He had a that is a me- that is a memorable tour to Somerville story. I was telling my wife the other day, you know how they did like before it the kids fun run and stuff. You could you, yeah, it was, it yes. was like a one and a half k like run or a three k run or something. Mm-hmm. I joined one year, uh, and it was like three laps around the course, and in my like chubby, uh, indifferent. Uh, state of mind i finished two laps and i decided that i wasn't going to do the third um but as a result i crossed the finish line and like a bunch of people started cheering for me as if i was came in first i was so slow doing two laps that they thought I came in first on the third lap. And so people start cheering. They're like, they're like treating me as if I'm number one. And I, like, I, I remember in that split second, I was like, oh my God, like I can play this off. Like I won. And then right. of course, like guilt took over and I was just like, no, no, I'm fat. Um, and, and <laughs> it hey man, you did two laps. That's more than I could have done. Good job. Yeah, I mean, in those two K, I don't know. Can we get two K these days? I couldn't do one K. I can do no, one K. Put, give me some rollerblades, and I do. I'll do all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So you failed the Somerville test. I do still believe in you as a true Summer villain. And also, you. I got to be honest. If the roles were reversed here. Uh, I don't think I would have gotten one of these questions if I had yeah, those, these up. <laughs> those were hard questions. I was expecting uh-huh. like, what was the name of the store on Main Street that sold like all sorts of awesome yeah. stuff? Yeah, I got um, to do some deep cuts. All yeah, right. no, you got me on that one. So t- thinking of Somerville, like, you know, I didn't meet you until, you know, after high school when you were, I think like towards, or maybe towards the end of Nowhere Fast or something like. Um, so. Take me how, how uh, you know, a kid with the last name Saracino from Somerville, whose dad works for PSE&G, like, how do you wind up with, like, floppy emo hair and, like, playing in, in punk and in, in bands like that? Like, it's a uh, an interesting twist at some point for you, right? 
how did that go down? Boredom, mostly. <laughs> right. um, when we when I was in seventh grade, or at the end of seventh grade, we moved to Somerville, uh, and I started eighth grade there. And I had a really hard time making friends, mm-hmm. so I would just come home from school and play guitar. So you already played guitar. Yeah, I learned. I started learning how to play guitar in seventh grade, um, just like kind of picking it up here and there and trying to figure out, um, gun, you know, slashes solo from November Rain, um, mm-hmm. very poorly, very very. Poorly. <laughs> um, but I knew that I wanted to learn how to play guitar. Like ever since I was like nine years old or six years hmm. old, very young. Uh, it, I'll I'll cite Eddie and the Cruisers really as my main. Oh, um, yes. You know, the main reason why I ever wanted to play guitar. Um, so, I've been trying to get Gaslight to cover on the dark side for years. Won't and, do it. They won't do it. Come on. Such a great song. I oh. could see also possibly doing, uh, what's that song? Seasons in Hell. The last song. Oh, right. I got to listen to that dark. one again. Okay. I'll take some that great one. songs on that, on that yeah. soundtrack. But so I can Eddie hear it. Cruisers got you moving. Eddie and the Cruisers got me moving, picking up tennis rackets and like pretending to play guitar while watching the movie. Um, but I was just really, really bored in eighth grade. I'd just come home and play guitar all the time. And then, you know, started playing in bands with my friends. And uh, at a certain point, I realized that I was not able to play guitar like John Petrucci from Dream Theater. <laughs> okay. And right. I never, ever would be. So uh, I set my sights on, um, you know, stuff that was attainable. You know, sure. I could play some metal and, and punk, and it was just a lot of fun. So we just always play with my friends and go to my friend Dave Castle's house and play in his basement. Um, and at a certain point in high school, my friend Ryan, Ryan Roberts, joined Nowhere Fast. Yes, and, um, okay, right. So I realized that they only had one guitar player, and I was like, maybe they, maybe they should have a second guitar player. And... Um, through so much nagging, um, they eventually <laughs> let me try out for the band. And uh, I ended up playing with Nowhere Fast for a little while. And then that band broke up and everyone went to college and then Midtown started. Right, right. Uh, this makes sense now. So, okay, Ryan is from Branchburg, so he went to Somerville High School. Yep. You guys knew each other from there. Okay. Yeah, Branchburg also, which is like... 15 or 20 minutes away from Somerville. There are like two or three towns in between. Yeah, Bridgewater's between it. <laughs> yeah, Bridgewater and Raritan are between I know, it. And- I know. I never understood that. I just always knew that the 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 rich people in Branchburg were not stoked about that. They're right. like, they're like, why do we have to drive a bus like three towns to like this town? Can we have our own foofy high school? I know. Or they could have just went to Bridgewater. I never understood that. All right, so you did that, and then and then that's how. So you were going to Raritan Valley, right? Like when you guys started. Another similarity between us. I also did mm-hmm. my time at Raritan Valley Community College, Harvard yes. on the Hill, as, as one like. does. <laughs> I did my time there. So I heard a crazy story when you were starting Midtown. How you guys would like like those dudes were so busy with school, you were practicing in the middle of the night at Big Noise. Yeah, it was weird. Um, I thought that that's what you did as a college student. Um, so I just went <laughs> right. with it. But we would practice at like midnight or one or two o'clock in the morning. We'd go to Big Noise, which was open all the time. Um, yeah. Big Noise was, yeah. um, where is that? Off George's Road in New Brunswick. Yeah, it's in that 
back industrial, you know, the industrial part of New Brunswick, where at two o'clock in the morning, you know, that's like, that's, that's the rat time. It's not like there's, there's a, yeah. a bustle of activity around there at two in the morning. Pretty no, sketchy, nothing, actually, that place at two in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing good happened no. around there at that time mm-hmm. of night. Mm-hmm. You didn't um, even have a Wawa over there yet. Like there's nothing. Uh, no, streetlights <laughs> weren't on. It was, you didn't yeah. want to be there. Yeah. Pretty sketch. But yeah, so, we would practice there like all night and then I'd go home, go to sleep for like four hours and wake up and go to the video store in the morning. Right. It's wild. Which, And like, uh, you know, what was the mind? I know, you know, I always found Midtown, you know, one of the things that stood out about Midtown early on was kind of like, you know, there was always sort of this new band thing around us. You know, there'd be like, oh, this guy's playing together. And then you'd see him at a show and they'd play like, cover and like two songs and then six months later would have a demo or like this like i felt like midtown like came out of the gates like you guys had like music and merch and it was kind of just like like a thing like early on was that am i seeing that right i felt like you guys had a different kind of focus than other bands did at the time yeah we we kind of um we just planned for it you know, like we, we had all been in bands before and we knew that we wanted to start playing shows when we had something that people could take home. Mm, um, right. Whether it would be, whether it was a demo or an EP, which, you know, we, we sat out, set out to record a demo and we realized that, well, let's just release it as an EP on Pinball Records. Right. Because uh, Jay, Jay wanted to put it out. So we put it out with Jay and we really wanted to have it in hand for our first show, which I I don't think that we actually made that deadline. I think it was more like our third or fourth show that that we actually got it out. But that was the goal from, from day one is to have something that people can take home after they see you the first time. How did you guys, you know, at the time there was such a, especially for punk rock bands and stuff, there was a lot of like, you know, you shooting yourselves in the foot kind of activity early on to make sure you were like credible. Like what made you guys know to like ignore that shit from the get go, which you should have like, and just be like, I want to be in a real band. I want to play music for a living. Like, was it a conscious thing or you just wound up with other like-minded people? No, that was like one of the first questions, you know, I think when, when the, because I was the fourth guy in the band. They already had like a bunch of songs and the three of them had been practicing for a while uh, when they started. But I think they had a common goal when they first started that, you know, we, we do want to go on tour. We do want to make records. We want to have a working band. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they asked me to come uh, play with them, they were like, this is what we're going to be doing. We want, we actually want to be on tour. We're going to get a van. We're going to get a trailer. And I was like, sick because I hate RVCC. So uh, <laughs> I've, I've been there for a year and two weeks and I'm out. Uh, right. Yeah. So I was like, this, this is great. This is exactly what I want to be doing. I, I don't want to stay home and, you know, work at the video store forever. The video store is awesome. Right. Don't get me wrong, but I did want to tour and, uh, we were all aligned uh, on that going into it. Yeah. Yeah. It was always like, uh, seemed really smart with you guys. So how did you get hooked up with, um, drive through initially? And, and how was your, not, I mean, not like the, how I got signed story, but like, I hear a lot of these, 
uh, I don't know, fucked up, weird stories about drive through. I don't know much about it. Like, how was your experience with it? Um, our experience was was fine. I mean, you know, they did sign us when they didn't really have too much going on. They had a couple. They had Phoenix TX. They had the RX Bandits. Right. They had a band called Cotton Side. Uh, and then, you know, we came along and Newfound Glory came along and Newfound Glory really put them up to the next level. Right. right. Yeah. Um, no one saw that coming, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, they just, they came out of the gate super strong. And I, I saw a post the other day that one of the guy's brothers put up that they got, um, they released Sticks and Stones five years to the day after they played their first show. And that wow. album's like, that's like a platinum selling record. That's crazy. It's incredible. Yeah. It's awesome what those guys did. But for sure. You know, Richard and Stephanie definitely had a vision for their label. They definitely had something that they wanted to accomplish. But, um, you know, we had some issues with them. Um, Trying to be diplomatic here. Oh, this is got you're talking. I am the king of no diplomacy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, I know. I know. Um, And I'll I'll be totally honest with you. I don't remember what the problems were with right. them, but I know that they were enough to make us want to leave the label at a certain point. Kind of hit at first, line. it was yeah. great. You know, they were they really worked hard for us, and they they t- they gave a shit about our band. You know, they put us up at their house. We lived at their house when we recorded the first record. They took care. Oh, of nice. Us. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but after a while, it seemed like they lost focus on us and started focusing on other bands. And we got a little jealous and resentful. And some of the business decisions that they made, we didn't really agree with. We felt like we weren't totally supported by them. Um, but as far as the stories that you may have heard about them, I don't don't know. I don't know anything about that. Oh yeah. I mean, it's mostly, (laughs) yeah, there's just some random shit from, it's mostly people on here. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. I'll be like, oh, tell me about this on drive through. Um, so when you were you guys getting courted super hard by majors at that time? No, not really. We were um, <clears throat> when we were on drive through, we had met some met some people who who, you know, worked for major labels, but they weren't really interested in us. We weren't doing anything that they were um, <clears throat> that was on their radar yet. Like pop punk wasn't big yet. Right. Yeah. You know. It was we were. This was like pre Good Charlotte, mm-hmm. pre Simple Plan, pre Newfound Glories, big success. <clears throat> so we weren't on their radar at all. Um, even when we were on drive through, they had that um, that deal. I forget what they called it, where you would basically get brought up to a major label. Oh, if like the, the major up, label wanted you. Yeah, 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 upstreaming or something. Yeah, upstreaming. Yeah. Upcycling, but, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we got we got picked out of the bucket at some point and brought up to MCA oh, I right, right before the second record. Like via your drive-through deal, you got brought up to MCA. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Oh, I see. MCA okay. picked us up out of the drive-through roster and said, "We're going to put out their record." We're like, right. "Okay, great." And this was just when, like, the majors kind of saw some blood in the water with this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, Blink's second album, third album. Take off your pants and jacket was out and it was doing great. We found Glory was on tour with them. We were on tour with them for a summer, um, and we got a lot of great perks from being on MCA at the time. Yeah, our recording budget like quadrupled for the second record. 
And, you know, we were young and stupid. So, of course, we spent all of it on like Farfisas and extra <laughs> percussion and like <laughs> renting guitars that we didn't need to rent. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You know, like if it makes I, you feel any better, we spent five thousand dollars to have drums tuned. No, you got oh, wow. yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, I guess yeah. I, I, those guys are good though. Yeah, it was great, but <laughs> grand man, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, so you were doing all that stuff with MCA, and then I know it didn't it didn't pan out with MCA, and I heard. You know, I knew you had some relationship with Matt Pinfield and mm-hmm. he was helping you or, or you know, kind of pitched you to Columbia or however that worked. But I was sorry, did you self-finance that last record? Like, I know because you guys made the record, then shopped it, right? Um, yeah. So how did you how did you go make a record with Butch Walker without the label? Like, uh, So Butch did it on spec. Oh, Bush, cool. um, wow. we had the same management. We were managed by crush at the time. Okay. And, um, you know, we had a handful of songs that they really believed in. <clears throat> we had written a ton. We were, we were actually at home from tour for like over a year. It, it felt like, cause we were involved in like uh, some legal things with a former label. Mm. Uh, we, we didn't tour. We didn't, you know, we didn't want to record for them. So we were oh, trying to get actually. out of that deal. Okay. So we got out of the deal eventually. And um, it took a year to get out of that, that MCA deal. It took a long time. Yeah. Shit. We, were, we were stuck. Damn. Um, and, you know, this is one of the things that like, what is this, like 18 years ago now? I don't remember all the ins and outs of, but I do remember that we were home for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. We had probably, I don't know, 16 to 18, 20 songs ready to go. Okay. Um, <clears throat> like, Totally ready. Everyone knows all the parts. Everything's all arranged. Harmonies are there. Everything's been demoed two or three times. Like we we worked while we were home. We we got it all together, and we hired new management, and they managed Butch as well. And I didn't know that Butch was like such a great producer. Right. I just I knew him as the guy from the Marvelous Three, yes. which is a band that I loved. Um. So when they said, "Why don't you work with Butch?" Um. I think we were all just like, yeah, that would be great, but we don't have any money and we don't have a record deal. Right. So he, he was like, just come down to Georgia. We'll do it at my studio. Wow. Keep the costs low. And then when you get the record deal, that's, that's what I get paid. Oh, cool. So, so we did the whole record. We had a couple singles planned and, um, there was like a, a mini bidding war between Columbia and Island for it. Okay. And, uh, Matt Pinfield worked at Columbia at the time. We're like, man, I, f- I feel like I know this guy, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, he's one of ours. He's one of ours. Like, I grew up watching him on TV. You talk to him, he knows what he's going on. He knows what's going on. Yeah, sure does. Um, yeah. So it w- that was a no-brainer to get to work with Matt on that record, too. So he was like your A&R at Columbia? Yeah, he was our A&R at, at Columbia. Wow, <clears throat> that's so cool. It's great. What, like, I've only had cursory conversations with Matt Pinfield. Um, like when you actually hang out with that dude, he he really is. He has like encyclopedic knowledge of of music, right? Like it's insane. It's insane. The, that song <laughs> um, "Take Me Out" by Franz Ferdinand had just come out at the time. Great song. And we're doing like yeah. some like radio show, and he's like, "The beginning of this song comes from this 
uh, limited release garage LP that came out in like 19. He told me the whole name of it. And he's like, but then it transitions to this other part, which is a direct take from this other song that came yeah. out four or five years later. He like broke down where they took every part of that song from oh, and no. mashed it together. It was, I was incredible. About to say, I like that song. <laughs> me too. I don't know if I would like the source material as much, but I do right. like the song. I do too. I wonder if someone <clears throat> like that, like he just he just knows too much about how the pudding's made. Like, yeah, like, you know, like it might be hard for someone like that to even enjoy music anymore, right? I don't know I, about. I it. He seems to truly enjoy music, actually. That's awesome, and. So, like, after all that, I mean, that's like uh, a long time of, you know, battling some hardship and label bullshit and getting through it. You finally get this record out. Like, did it pan out, you know, the way you guys wanted? Like, like this is a big buildup for something like that. Were you expecting more? It panned out the way you thought. No, it didn't really do what we thought it was going to do. Uh, yeah. We, you know, we had, we put a lot into it. Like I mentioned, we wrote it for like, you know, a year, yeah. year plus. I mean, some of those songs we wrote during the second album cycle. Um, and we have really high hopes. Yeah. I think, it, I think the label have really high hopes too. They, they spent like $120,000 on a music video wow, that was yeah. directed by Mark Webb. Um, Which one was that? Give It Up. Oh yeah. It's a good that was video. the lead single, lead right. single for the album. Um, I pitched something to him for in the treatment and he just completely dismissed it. And I was like, okay, well, this guy probably knows what he's doing. That's all right. Um, <laughs> 120k. That's a lot. A lot I let him video. do it. You know, we don't video. need to rip off a scene from the bone collector. You're right. Mark Webb. I listen, listen if Gabe's going to steal a backpack, at least it could be CGI or something <laughs> for, for, that's that right. cash, for that cash. Come on. Mark Webb. Someone can't pop out of the bag or something. You know, that's right. Jeez. Jeez. So, yeah. So, so you really kind of, I mean, at that point, you know, you guys just proper were going for it. Like, like I want to be, I want to be a rock star. Like you, you were in that. I mean, you had the potential at that time for sure. Yeah. We, you know, we tried, Yeah, we tried really hard. We were like, we were very well practiced. We, We put on good shows. We, um, we thought we made all the right moves. I think we focused a little bit too much on being cool as opposed to being like accessible, which was mm. maybe look, looking back at it, maybe not. We, we made some decisions that weren't the best decisions. Like what, like um, what, in what way, like, like being cool more than accessible. Oh, like instead of doing a tour with the offspring, we decided to take out bands that were on like the buddy head label. Oh, right. You know, right, like, right. Sure. Like, sure. like maybe we could have made a different decision there. It would have been, but you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you never know what's going to happen at the time. Um, the time you're making the decisions. Yeah. But. It's kind of the classic mistake, right? I think a lot of bands do that where, you know, you put so much into like the trajectory that once you get there, you're like, you're like, all right, all right, we got to make sure we're still cool. It yeah. is like an easy thing to get stuck in when in reality, the smartest thing is like, hey, we already signed to a fucking major. We did this. We already fucking basically did the thing. So just fully go for it. You know, just like go that, for it. That's yeah. the smart thing to do is like your windows open now. Jump through every fucking opportunity. But it's hard when you're you're young and you see yourself in a certain way. Like that's a very difficult balance. Like that's it's not easy. 
Yeah, the, like the least cool thing to do is to tell people that you're cool. <laughs> right. And that's that's what I think we were trying to do. <laughs> right. It didn't it didn't really work out. You got to let but, it come to you, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I like that record. Oh, thanks, Benny. <laughs> I like lot, it too. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of fucking people like that record, and I think <laughs> I think you know what you guys. Uh, um, are seeing now with like the feedback when every time you play again is like, you know, that's the upside to you taking all that time to crafting the right songs and doing it the right way is good music lasts. And if you didn't make a good record, you wouldn't have a, the opportunity to play again right now, you know? So it's did, true. It did pan out in a way. Um, and practicing those songs, those songs are the most fun to play. The ones from the last album are so much fun to play. Just, because they're intricate, you know, like we right. put a little bit more time into the into the parts. And, a little more dynamic. Yeah, definitely more dynamic. Nice. So I know you did like, you know, you know, rash of reunion shows here and there. But like what really prompted um this go around? Like uh what was the spark of of getting this going and 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 working as hard as you guys are right now? Um uh, we we had had the idea to to do something in early 2020 and um you know what happened no, I, no one knows <laughs> no one knows what happened um but basically uh basically it was tyler really pushing us and cool. being like let's 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 play again it's it'll be fun it's been a while nice. you know my, my kids are asking to see us play they're watching wow. youtube videos and asking a lot of questions and, yeah. and not only that it'll be fun it'll be fun to play so he rob and i got together uh, one day after work. Uh, it was like March 10th of 2020. And were you guys uh, still in pretty regular contact? <clears throat> yeah. To, I mean, to varying degrees. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I always kind of kept in touch with Rob. Uh, keep in touch with... I talked to Tyler all the time. Um, you know, keep in touch with Gabe and be, via text message. And we have, like, group chats going on nice. for, like, the past couple of years. But cool. um, the three of us worked so close together. The two of them were working in the city, and I was working in Perth Amboy. So right, right. we met up in Jersey City after work one night, and it was so much fun. We are like, Let's, we got to do this again next week. Uh, what's going on with this virus that's going Wait, around really, that everyone's you, talking about? You said the first time you guys practiced again was March 10th, 2020? Yeah, m- oh. March 10th, 2020. <laughs> Because March 11th is was Rudy Gobert Day, right? Yeah, that well, yeah. yeah, I believe so. That's when everything everything yeah. like sh- started shutting down. That's the day. That's the day. March 11th, 2020 is the day for me. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So like that's we got in just before that happened and planted the seed. Oh. So you know, while we're all stuck at home, um, you know, I started playing guitar a lot again because I was at home all the time. People started reaching out to me to like collaborate right. on stuff and. Honestly, before that practice, I played the three shows in 2014, the three reunion shows that Midtown played in 2014, but I hadn't like sat down and played guitar since 2009. Wow. And now all of a sudden, March 2020 hits, I'm playing guitar all the time. Hmm. Totally fell back into it. Um, and I remembered how much I love playing music. Was it like the like the real cliche, like you walked up to the attic... And like, <laughs> like blew off the dust off the case and, and was like, hello, old girl, or like something like that. Kind of. It was, it was actually <laughs> a little bit more technologically uh, influenced. My, my oh, friend okay. Dave DeGuire posted a video online of him singing the song from The Wedding Singer. 
um, <laughs> like sing playing it. And yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, that's a great song. And I was like, hey, man, you still sound great. And he called me. He's like, do you want to play some covers together? Okay. I was like, how the fuck are we going to do that? And he's like, just record them, send them to me, and then I'll put my, my vocals on it. Oh. I was like, okay. So I sat down. I played like four songs. Like I think it was like an Alkaline Trio song, Saves a Day song, and a couple other Jawbreaker song. And I sent them to him. He recorded his vocals on top of them and just put it up on his Instagram. Nice. And, you know, we, we had like a, it was like a fun reaction to that. And we we're like, this is going to be like a cool, fun project to keep us sane while we're stuck at home. So, uh, so Dave and I did like, I think we did like 40 or 45 songs um, where every week we would just go onto a playlist and I would pick out a couple songs. I'd learn them and record them and send them to them. Wow. And then we put them up. That's pretty We did a Gaslight it. song, Benny. Which one? We did the backseat. Oh, really? I got to listen mm-hmm. to that. Check it out. That's, I'm honored. I'm honored. It's <laughs> nice. It's nice we've known each other so long and you still want to actually play my song. That's good. <laughs> um, all right. So I heard something I need you to explain to me. Okay. Can you tell me about being randomly kicked in the nuts <laughs> at a show in Australia? I heard this story. I'm like, what the fuck happened there? Yeah, so so many things happen when you're in a, when you're in a band that you just end up forgetting about, no matter how strange they are. Yeah, and I totally forgot about that for years and years. But we were <laughs> we were in uh, we were in Australia on the Taste of Chaos International tour. I was playing okay. Senses Fail at the time, and we were walking from the backstage to like out in the open to uh, to do like an autograph signing. Mm. So and you're this in the guy, shit. you're in the shit in this shit it's like yeah we got we got damon our tour manager damon from braid is oh, like damon atkinson yeah damon atkinson is just like being super profesh yeah le- leading I, us around yeah i toured with him i toured with him i know his vibe yeah he's the best man he's great he's great but he was taking care of business and he's he's walking we're, we're walking to the signing and i don't know where i see this this person start running towards me and at first i thought it was eddie from taking back sunday message oh, okay so you're expecting and, like a hug or something like yeah maybe yeah. like someone to like tackle me or something or like right pick but me something up. gregarious yeah yeah uh, <laughs> and no the kid runs up and like as he runs up to me he lifts his head up and I'm like that's not Eddie and he just full on kicks me right in the balls oh my god and I did like I didn't know how to react I mean did you because- drop was it a direct hit did he get you good. He got me pretty good, okay. but I turned around and I'm like, this is where I have to make a decision. Like, am I going to turn around and punch this dude in the face or am I just going to be cool about it? <laughs> and I looked at him and I'm like, the calculator's going to my head. Yeah. Trying to figure out how old he is. Right. Like, right. Yeah. This guy is 16 years old. Okay. I'm like, I can't, I'm not going to touch this guy. So I turn around and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Yeah. And he's like, He's like, oh, I wanted to get Buddy's attention. And I'm like, <laughs> there are better ways to get Buddy's oh attention than by kicking me in the balls. So his tactic to get Buddy from Senses Fails attention was to run up and kick his guitar player in the nuts as hard as he can? Yeah, I mean, it worked. Right? Did Buddy talk to him after? So, he, was, he just kind of scolded him. Okay. Everyone was kind of in shock because it was yeah. such a random occurrence. Um 
Let me ask you this though. Did he get what he wanted? Did he meet with Buddy and get like an autograph and a picture? I don't know. I think I think out of principle, <laughs> Buddy might have denied him a picture okay, because good. he's he's a pretty stand up guy like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think he definitely gave him, you know, and I'm disappointed in you talk. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Cool. Which is even worse, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. oh. But now looking back at it, man, I salute that kid. Good for you, buddy. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. <laughs> you salute. You him. only get one. You only get one shot in this world. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you gotta Mom, take it. Yo, mom, spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I don't. I mean, good on you, Heath. I don't know if that. I, yeah, I guess it is kind of like it's kind of punk rock. I guess. Yeah, um, it's pretty badass to just haul off and kick someone in the nuts. Oh, man, that's not a good message to be sending. It's not yeah. cool, kids. Yeah, yeah, Brad. I guess you're right, Brad. Brad. There yeah. are there are more implications to me saying that that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, that I'm not ready to deal with. <laughs> Especially if you're about ready to go back out and play some shows. Maybe you're right. True. Look, if you want to meet me, if you want to meet Buddy, if you want to meet Gabe, you know, just come up and say hey. Don't kick me in the balls. This is a message to everyone. I actually, I have a different message. You know, <laughs> Heath and I are playing music together. I'm sure we'll be playing out fairly soon. Um, so if anybody wants to meet me and you're not sure how to talk to me, maybe just come up and assault Heath in his testicles a little bit. And, I'm going to be wearing my bass very low at yeah, all shows. And based on what Heath is saying now, I won't even be mad at you. I'll take a picture with you because he respects you. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. I really set myself up yeah, for that. You wanna, you, you, Shit. You need a moment to retract here? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that one out there. Okay, okay. I'll keep that one out there. Not offering a retraction. Okay. No, I'll, right. I'll leave that out there because right. you know what? You only you only live once. That's true. And I haven't been assaulted in a very long time. And you so. already got your kids, right? That's right. I already got my you kids. Know? I'm not. Yeah. I, I know I'm not going to have any more. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's fine. I know. It's kind of funny when your ball problems change as you get older. Yeah. One, one of my balls is a bag of worms. Doesn't even work anymore. It's, it's liter- a bag of worms. It is literally a medical term called a fucking bag of worms. <laughs> I'm dead serious. This All is right. a thing. <laughs> and <laughs> and I remember hearing about it. I'm like, this is fucked up. And they're like, yeah, the worst thing that happens to this is you. You know, you might you probably can't have kids anymore. I'm like, ah, oh, all right, bag of worms. <laughs> Guess I got one. Well, yeah. Now that's that's the third thing I'm going to have to look up after this call. <laughs> Somerville history, bag of worms. What else? Yeah. What Pig Lady two? film, Hangman's Hill. Yeah, yeah. Pig and film. bag of worms. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of getting kicked in the nuts, what is your most embarrassing on stage moment from like childhood till now? Like when you were just like mortified. So there's something that I found online that I don't I didn't really remember happened. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we were on tour with H2O mm-hmm. um, on the deconstruction tour in I want to say 2002. We were we we're very friendly with them. They're great guys. Took us out on tour a couple times. We we become very friendly with them. And I love the song Guilty by Association. Oh, great song. And I somehow influenced Adam to let me play his bass, to let me play bass for that song. Oh, oh and that's like a that's like a bass driven song, right? It's yeah. Bass heavy song. The bass line is very important to that yeah. song. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I played it totally wrong. 
and this video. And I'm like, I, I couldn't hear the bass really when I was playing it. But if you watch the video, like, Rusty's looking at me like, what the fuck are oh, you doing no. <laughs> the whole time? And speaking of someone that you you don't want to be disappointed in you. Yeah. Um, you don't you want know, Rusty Pistachio disappointed in you. No. A lot of respect for Rusty Pistachio. Yeah. And I, yeah, I feel ultimate. like I let him down that day. No. And I, I, I still uh, cringe thinking about it. That's not that bad a one. Uh, to disappoint Rusty Pistachio is pretty yeah. bad. But the trick, it, like, do you think... Anybody in the crowd knew? I think I think everybody knew. They did yeah. know. Oh, okay. I think so. It was it was so wrong and so bad. Um, I cringe about that. That's often. not so bad though. I mean, it, you know, most people have a really bad fall. You know, um, I got electrocuted. I you know yep. like shit my pants or like something like that. Like that one's not too bad. I'm pretty sure all those things happen too at some point. <laughs> you shit your pants on stage. I mean, look, I was on tour for a long time. Yeah, so. were you ever like, were you ever like a ripper? Like, did you, did you ever have any like runs where you proper drinker, proper partier, or did you always kind of keep it in control? I mean, we usually kept it pretty much in control, but there was, um, there was one show where we kind of let it all hang out. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> we're playing in Omaha, Nebraska at Sokol Underground. It's an yeah. easy place Sokol to Underground. let it all hang out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, we were headlining, and we showed up, and there were, like, eight tickets sold. Oh, So yeah. we were like, this is going to be horrible. That's a strange um, venue, too. It kind of looks like, like, it's like a venue, but you sort of feel like you're in the bottom of, like, a Masonic Lodge or something. Yeah, really nice tile floor. Right. You know, it, it is a cool vibe. It is. Um, it is. Yeah, but we, sh- we showed up to, like, eight tickets sold, and we were like, oh, this is going to be a bad show. Let's go buy some whiskey. and. Mm. <laughs> Showtime comes around, and by the time we go on, it's packed and sold out, and oh. we were we we were not in any condition to play. And I got a really, really bad email from someone who like drove like ten hours to go see the show. And uh. They were really upset about it, so I got I gave that kid free tickets to any show for life. After really, that, I felt so bad. Yeah, I guess this is oh man, that email really got to you, huh? Yeah, like I, I would hate if I was that fan who drove to see a band play, and they, you know. They were as sloppy as we were that night. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's hard to it's hard to remember as like someone in a band that like, you know, even if there's five people, like one person might be having, you know, a really serious experience that you can't fuck with. It's just so hard to I remember one time uh I never I never got drunk before shows, but we had done like a almost like two to three months of straight touring. And for some reason, took like five days of bar shows with the Flatliners after <laughs> Fest. So like coming from Fest, like back home, you know, so we're in like Fort Myers where, you know, we're in Pensacola, like, um, you know, e-markets. And we wound up at a place called the Milestone, which is, a, it's almost like the CBGBs of Charlotte. It's like this oh. little cool... <clears throat> um venue and a strange part of town like like you wouldn't expect it and it has this cool history but same thing i showed up and i'm like i just spent like three and a half months on the road it's my birthday oh. i'm at this place there's no one here I'm getting drunk right and i remember they had a beer there called old <clears throat> chub mm. and old chub was like 10 11 or something like that and i went too heavy 
Worst show I ever played. Remember, I throw my drums in the back and just lay down in one of the van seats. You know, one of the only times I'm like, I don't give a shit how we're getting anywhere. I'm usually the one planning it, you know? And I'm like, I don't care. I'm laying down in here. You fuckers take me home for once. And then just like woke up in like DC. And I was like, did we just play a really, really awful show? (laughs) (laughs) They're like, yep. You know, but... It's hard to uh, hard to control those moments, right? You know, they happen sometimes. As long as they don't happen all the time, you're okay. But the thing that's important to remember is that you can't take it out on the people who aren't there because the people who are there right. are the people who matter. That's it. You know? I was lucky to read. I, I loved uh, Get in the Van when I was mm-hmm. a teenager, the Rollins book, and I always remember one story about Rollins kind of checking out on a show and fucking around and not taking it too seriously and literally like getting assaulted by like the other members of black flag after for like the same exact reason, you know? And it's, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's easy, easy to forget that stuff, but people, you know, they also got to give artists the benefit of the doubt every once in a while too, you know, like you are human you can have a bad show, right? You know. Sometimes you're going to party real hard on your birthday. It yeah, happens. you know. Do you, do you want humans up there? Or you want robots? You know, like right. That's, I remember going through that at one stage in Gaslight, where you know it was always like really important to me to just like every show, like almost perfect, like. And then you realize after a certain point that like it can't be, and it's mm-hmm. all about the energy, you know. And I like the idea that like. Uh, you go see Bob Dylan, you know, you spend like $600 on a ticket. You have no idea if he's going to be good or not. Right. Like or well, what he's going to play. He might not play yeah, anything that you know. He might not play anything you know. And that's exciting. I don't know. Like, that's cool. And then I've been on tour with bands before where like after two weeks, you know exactly what they're going to do every night at each time at every show, you know, with these totally perfect yet kind of choreographed and semi-stale performances, you know, like it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's better to fuck up a little bit at this point, you know? Yeah. I like a little bit of spontaneity. Yeah. So when we start playing, we should just, we'll just fuck up a lot, huh? Yeah. I mean, it's going to happen, right? Yeah. It's fine. We're old. We're out there to have fun. Yeah. Um, I have a question about, more like the modern thought process for you. Cause you know, between like, you know, your upbringing and what you do, I, there's not a lot of people who are in a unique position of kind of like having your skill set and spending a lot of time with like working class people and working class guys. And also being like a musician and a punk rocker and probably coming often from a different sort of, you know, cultural feel, ethical feel when it comes down to it. Like, how do you balance that on like a day-to-day basis? Um, it's all the same to me, honestly. I mean, hmm. what the punk rock scene kind of taught me, and I think it taught all of us, is that no one's going to do it for you. You have to do it yourself. So right. if you're presented with a problem, you can't always go run to someone to figure it out and help you with it. You have to figure it out yourself and get it done. Mm. Um, and that's, 
I think that's a real, that was a really important lesson to learn because, you know, while you do have support systems in place at any job, sometimes it's just going to come down to you. Right. Um, sure. And you just, you just have to make it happen. So you think that DIY work ethic, just like getting it done yourself. And how yeah, about, that's... how about like the social dynamics? Like, I mean, you know, especially in the last, like, you know, six years or so, and you know, most of our country wants to kill each other and stuff. Like, do you ever find yourself in like kind of, you know, strange conversations or in the crosshairs of a conversation you don't want to get into or something like that? Sometimes things will come up, but I, uh, I try to keep it very, uh, middle of the road, um, and inert. Hmm. So I, tr- I don't really engage in, you know, any sort of conversation that would, uh, alienate someone that I'm working with or kind of put me out there as a target either. Right. Right. Kind of just try and keep everything under wraps. So you just got to be like, you're like, you're like Tom Cruise in an interview at work. Like, <laughs> like you, you're just not giving any of that. Sh- you're like Derek Jeter. Like, uh, you know what? I just try to go out there and give it 110%. <laughs> just do the best for my team. Like you don't want to give anybody those little cracks because they can use them against you. I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I just got to keep it, keep it profesh. Yeah. What would be like the borderline where you're like, all right, fuck you. I got to like punch you in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't, I don't think that I surround myself with anyone who would say anything that would cause me to want to punch them in the face. Yeah. Listen, some kid fucking kicked you in the nuts (laughs) and didn't get punched in the face. So yeah, you know, you got, you got, I'm I'm a pretty forgiving guy. Yeah. It seems like you're a patient man. (laughs) (laughs) I, I just always find it interesting because I've like had that uh, had that balance for myself, and sometimes it's it's uh, interesting to navigate. But I think you're uh, you're probably a more smarter and more tempered person, you know, as far mm-hmm. as that goes. Um, I didn't realize Heath that I know you like grew up going to Manville shows and stuff, but I never realized this Less Than Jake show was your first show ever. Like your first proper punk rock show? That was my first punk rock show. And you put that show on, right? I did. Yeah, that was my show. Yeah. That was a formative experience for me. Wow. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a great show. Um, Tom Petta was getting over meningitis. Oh, um, right. Yeah, Tom Bigwig. Uh-huh. Two of the guys from Weston, I think it was Dave and Chuck, were pretending to be um, Canadian um Siamese twins just sharing a jacket and walking around <laughs> talking to people online. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, later when I was inside moshing, uh, someone spit in my face. Okay, good. So, man, it was there was a lot that happened on at that show. Someone you know? spit in your face. In my face. Yeah, I was, wearing a, I was wearing a weird shirt. I don't remember what it was. But weird. I don't know if that was the cause of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I tried <clears throat> to keep those shows peaceful. They did... You know, it was the mid nineties. It, it was it was, it was it was the Wild West. Got out of control every once in a <laughs> while. Yeah, I probably broke some like unwritten rule. Yeah, I that, wonder, like everyone else knew about. Yeah, it was your first show, so I wonder what like what silly thing you were being punished for. Scene politics, yeah. you know. I probably deserved it. I doubt but. it. I doubt <laughs> it. Maybe that's my problem. Is that I think that I'm I'm 
do all of this torture and pain from the world. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. <clears throat> well, I think it's cool. I mean, you know, like, I feel like we've always had kind of this, like, we've been really adjacent to each other for mm-hmm. so long without really knowing each other that well. Yeah, um, it's wild. We've been in like the same orbit for the last 25 years. Yeah, you literally, you dated my wife's best friend. Mm-hmm. I put on the first punk rock show you went to mm-hmm. from the same town. I used to get fucking mozzarella wedges from your brother at TGI Fridays. Yep. Like, you know, and then all these years, you're in a band with my middle school best friend. You That's know? right. Like, yeah. like it's, it's kind of bizarre. So I'm glad after all these years, we finally get to connect and play some music. You're, you're a wonderful guy, Heath. I'm glad we're finally doing this. I'm so happy that that we finally <laughs> connected in this way. Yeah, it's nice. And even though you have to play bass, I mean, you know, <laughs> is it cool? You okay being a bass player? I'm too. I'm totally cool being a bass player. I I did not know really how to play bass. Um, yeah. But Nick Nick just like cold messaged me one day. He's like, "Do you play bass?" Yeah. Like I I have a bass. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was like, is this for the band with uh, Benny and Jason? And he was like, yeah. I'm like, no, I play bass. <laughs> oh, nice. <So>. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we got, got, did you start playing the bass on those tracks yet? Yeah, I uh, I actually did all seven of them on Friday night and sent them to Jay in the morning. Oh, sick. Okay, I was going to check up. So this is breaking news for anyone who cares 70 minutes into a podcast episode. Actually, with our <laughs> intro, probably even longer. <laughs> We're at about 80 minutes. So so this is the most hardcore of people are here. But last weekend or two weekends ago, recorded seven songs for this new project. And Heath and all the other boys are bringing them home to, to stack on parts. And we should have something fairly legitimate in the world pretty soon. Yeah, I can't wait for people to hear the songs, man. I know, me too. It's exciting. I like that. I, uh, I've i just started making a career out of just like playing in bands with my favorite songwriters. <laughs> you know? It's like... It's drummer, pretty great. It's- I mean, it's what a drummer has to do, right? Like, I'm glad uh, at some point in the early 2000s, I realized you're going to get nowhere in life if the best part of your band is the drummer, you know? <laughs> mm. Wow! <laughs> Listen, I'm not leading a fucking jazz trio here, Heath. You know, I need songs, baby. I need songs. You know? <laughs> uh, I feel the same way. I'm not. I'm not much of a songwriter. So, but you give me something to play, I'll play the shit out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, we'll make a great rhythm section then. Um, Damn right. All right, Heath. Anything else you want to add while you're on going off track? No, I, I'm very happy with this. Um, you know, as you know, I am a, I'm a longtime listener of the podcast. I'm actually a patron as well, so I'm you, happy you to are? cross over. I am a patron. Uh, oh, look at I, that. I've been a patron of both iterations of the Patreon Wow, as well. Mm-hmm. So happy to support. Um, happy to be here. Well, Brad, would you. you look at that? It just... It kind of just makes me feel guilty when I hear that stuff. Right? <laughs> our guests are our patrons. Hi, Brad. Hello. Guess what? 
Um, you're a woman hmm. trapped well, in a man's body. A little bit. Aren't we all, <laughs> you know, to a point. Yeah. We all have a tiny woman trapped inside of us. It's not where I was going with that, but I do think <laughs> it's true. I do. I was going to talk about the fact that I poison Ivy again. Ah, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to hear that. Mr. Outdoorsman, you know. That's the price. You know, it's better than ticks, dude. That's all I get to say. Better than ticks. I also, I found some of those uh, crazy bugs you're supposed to smash this morning. Those lantern Which, flies or something. The ones oh, There's that, so many. Japanese yeah. beetles, uh, gypsy moth caterpillars. The emerald boar ash. Ash boar beetle. That guy's killing my ash trees, you know? But, While you're at it, go after the starlings, man. They're bad news, man. The birds? Yeah, starlings are the worst. They're an invasive species. They cause disease. They push other birds' eggs out of the nest and then steal the nest. I mean, they're ugly. They're ugly birds. It's just gangster. Like, what are you going to do totally, about that? You know? Totally gangster. I always I think that sometimes in the animal kingdom when I'm looking around and I'm like, what's like the pecking order here? You know, like every <laughs> society. Yeah. <laughs> what's the pecking order? Every society has their hierarchies, you know. Some people are cool, some people are not cool. I wonder like like what all the birds think is like the cool bird. Like, yo, that oh, dude the is blue cool. jay dude. The you badass. think blue jay is the slickest? They're like they travel in gangs. Yeah, but I feel like they're kind of like the basic like person. They're like the basic cool. Like they're like you were cool in high school. Because they're good looking, they're athletic, nice looking, got a good crew. But I don't know (laughs) if they like age super cool, you know? Like, do they grow up cool? You don't think the sparrow is kind of like the everyman bird? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The blue jay is a little bit more of like the cool jock. Oh, okay. Yeah. The sparrow would be more like the everyman. Um, But I'm thinking like, I mean... Do we even count like owls and birds of prey? Ooh, mythical. I mean, that's that's when you start to get into like the mythical real, creatures. Yeah. Now, because they can't hang with these other birds, you don't see them at the feeder, man. Mm, that's true. Yeah. That's true. They're like another species. See, almost. exactly. I told you pecking orders. See, <laughs> there's many. There's many. It happens. It's interesting with this stuff. You know, birds, uh, another Scientific American article came out this week reaffirming the connection between birds and dinosaurs. <laughs> and so, I mean, <laughs> it is pretty amazing that, like, really, Birds are dinosaurs? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, amazing. I've lived my entire life with this idea that dinosaurs are extinct. And they're oh. most certainly not, you know, if you actually believe in the way things went, you know, they just evolved. It just turned into like, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. So this like five ton creature that requires 300 pounds of grass a day to survive. Okay. We can't support that anymore. But after about 10 million years, we can support this little, like, you know, one pound flying thing. That's wildly adaptable. doesn't even have to hit the ground, you know? Like, yeah, that's why people are going to start shrinking soon, too. Oh, for sure. And I was telling my kids the other day, that it confused them a little. But, you know, I think we're going to be fish people. <laughs> Back in the water? 
Yeah, like I think we're getting less we're getting less hairy. We're getting like taller and slimmer. We're like we're turning into like fish people because we're meant to be like half aquatic at this point. I freaked my daughter out because I think she thought rather than this happening in like five million years, that like she's gonna run into a fish person. Like on the so I don't know if I put it in the right context. Yeah. Like sweetheart, you ever seen those kids at school? There's a school of thought that we we were aquatic, semi-aquatic, and that's why we have no hair. Yes. Yeah. So, and we're totally point. leaning that way. Yeah, let's go back. This is we've gone off the rails. Officially here. Going off the rails. All right. Listen. Thank you for listening. You can find Heath wherever you get good music. Mm. <laughs> uh, he's got a Twitter at Heath Saraceno. There's also Midtown Census Fail Twitter, Census Fail on Instagram. He has a Heath and Dave Singh Instagram account. You can find us at Going Off Track. And you can also find us every Thursday night talking to our patrons. Mm-hmm. On Discord, um, if you want to be a patron, go to patreon.com slash going off track. Sign up. You can get uh, ad-free episodes. Ad-free episodes. Bonus content. and at some Bonus point, content. What are we going to make? We're going to make uh, jackets. Yeah. Three-timer jackets. I mean, you can join Heath. That, I was, that was a stunning revelation That was right a there. stunning realization. And Heath yeah. deserves some. You know, we... Brad... You know, problem with guys like us? <laughs> What's that? Bunch of bunch of hot air we are. How many yes. times on wax we've been like, oh, we got to get something cool for these people. We don't do shit. Well, Let's get on it. That's why we're good podcasters because it's hot air. It's all fucking hot <laughs> all air. All hot air. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if, if you'd like to or leave a review or do all the stuff, we appreciate it, you know? Yeah. It makes follow us feel us. good. Follow us. Just follow us. Follow us. <laughs> Lead, Brad, you'd be a good leader. And you might second guess yourself too much. It's possible. You'd be it's like, possible. let's go. Wait, I'm not sure. <laughs> should we go? <laughs> Man, maybe we should get it five minutes. Yeah. Then we'll go. <laughs> let's cool it off. <laughs> let's just cool off. <laughs> All right, Brad. Well, thanks to Heath. That was fun. Big ups to the Saracenos. I always remember his brother hooking me up with mozzarella triangles. Like 25 years ago. I don't I don't forget that shit. That's you right. give you give this guy fried cheese once. I'm in your heart forever. 